Am I prompting my student too much or not enough? This is a question that we ask ourselves often as clinicians. If you have ever wondered that, have you have ever worked with a student who's maybe prompt dependent or is not taking prompts that you are using as teaching tools, you are going to want to dive on into this episode. I interviewed Landon Cowan, and we are talking all about a decision-making tool for evaluating and selecting prompting strategies. So we're going to discuss prompting, and we're also going to talk about this really cool article that he has published uh, with that same name, the show notes has the link. And why I really love it is that there is a visual that you can use with your students. Um, are these prompts correct for teaching this skill to this learner? This also has nice applications for staff training as well. If you're working with people who are not prompting enough or maybe prompting too much, or maybe we want to talk about prompting, this is a great episode. I'm excited for you to dig on in. And if you love this episode, and if you want to hear more about research, make sure that you leave a review for me on Apple Podcasts and let me know, do you love this episode? Do you want more applicable information that you can use in your day-to-day -day interventions? Without further ado, let's get into this episode and conversation with Landon Cowan. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Welcome to episode 154 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. I am very excited for my conversation today with Landon Cowan. Thank you so much, Landon, for coming on to the program. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me, Rose. Good to be here. Um, and we were taping this around Thanksgiving. I was gonna I have a turkey hat that I'm rocking for the turkey trot. And I was thinking every Zoom meeting I do today and tomorrow, I should. <laughs> I mean, why not? Right? We're all in the holiday spirit. That's what I was saying before I pressed record. Like I'm I, thank you for being here, Landon, for this intellectual conversation. But we're all thinking about our Thanksgiving traditions, aren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. No. And honestly, you know, there's nothing I love more than, you know, being in the Thanksgiving spirit or just being, you know, traveling for the holidays and still getting to talk about the stuff that I love. So there honestly, this is like a perfect holiday break for me. <laughs> there we go. I love it. So um, those of us that are new to you and your work, can you tell us about you and just your journey in the field, how you got into it and then kind of what you're up to now? Yeah, absolutely. So I started um, my journey in applied behavior analysis actually when I was an undergrad uh, back in uh, around uh, 2014 is around when I found out that behavior analysis even existed and started my journey there as an undergrad student um, working at the University of North Texas with uh, Dr. K uh, Karen Rader um, in um, some early intervention work, um, also working on staff training and, and things like that. And so after I finished that coursework, I uh, went to the University of Houston Clear Lake, so just a, a few hours down the road from the University of North Texas, and uh, continued my training there with uh, Dr. Dorothea Lerman, Dr. Sarah Lachago, and uh, Dr. Jennifer Fritz. Um, and then from there, um, I, I, I really, while I was there, and, and certainly um, what we'll talk about today, uh, a lot of that was my thesis um, in my master's program. After that, I, I did want to continue on to you know, continue on in that same line of research in kind of complex decision making and problem solving. And so I uh, joined uh, Dr. Tiffany Kodak's PhD program at Marquette University up in Wisconsin, uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
And um, from there, I've I've been working on a lot of the same types of projects, looking at how do we, you know, uh, solve complex problems that, and how do we, you know, consistently and you know comprehensively make decisions about any aspect of our clinical programming. And then from there, you know, so I'm almost done with my uh, PhD. I, I'm wrapping up my dissertation, hopefully in the next few months. And then uh, right now, what I'm doing is I'm working uh, with Trumpet Behavioral Health, now a part of the Blue Sprig Pediatrics mm-hmm. family. There's kind of a bunch of names that people might know mm-hmm. us by. I'm out in the Bay Area in San Francisco, working with uh, the Behavior Center as the clinical director for uh, the Dublin, California location, uh, where we specialize in uh, the treatment of severe problem behavior. Um, so working with um, a severe behavior population. So that's kind of my journey now. I, I wear a lot of hats and I've done a lot of things. And um, really just my passions are around that complex decision making, as well as the supervision and training of of new staff. Cool. So is it Amber Valentino that is yes. out there with? Okay. So she was yes. on my podcast. She is just a a light of positivity. I follow her on LinkedIn and she yes. was posting some things and I was like, I like her. I know that she will be amazing. And she came on the podcast. Um, you guys both have kind of the same aura of it, like very positive. I love that. And I was like, yes. like her. I just do. Um, okay, that's yeah. fun. Yeah, you have to tell her I said hello. She was on the podcast um earlier. But you know, you I was I'm always kind of like digging into the research because I'm an ACE provider, ASHA provider, and I came across your um what I think is a very practical but very helpful article called A Decision Making Tool for Evaluating and Selecting Prompting Strategies. And I I, I love that so much. Was it behavior analysis and practice? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I really love that publication because I feel like it is is very scientific, yet easy to digest and things that we can transform. So I feel like treating clinicians, which I still am a treating clinician two days a week, but I feel like treating clinicians, it's really hard for people to stay in touch with the research. And so I try to do that, go in, you know, with ABA speech and try to go in, look at what is going on in the research and then bring that to people in these bite-sized chunks. So um, for those of us, I like to start with like a baseline definition. And I know sometimes it seems silly because I'm like, let's start with a baseline definition of ascent or, you know, something that we've already talked about. But can you give us kind of a baseline definition of a prompt, kind of what you're talking about in this, in this article? Yeah, certainly. That's uh, certainly a great place to start. And and so uh, the way that I would define a prompt is really a prompt could be anything that occasions some desirable response. So oftentimes when we're thinking about this, maybe in our day-to-day work with, um, and we're, you know, working to teach new skills of any type of sort to uh, perhaps a learner with autism, uh, these prompts that we often use may be things like pointing, gesturing, offering vocal models, maybe even physical supports to help complete a response. But a prompt could also be something maybe that you and I have set up on our phones every day, right? Just a little alert saying, hey, remember this meeting's coming up or a sticky note on the fridge. Hey, don't forget to you know set the meat out to defrost or something like that. <laughs> so a prompt really is just a way to describe any supplemental stimulus or response that we provide that occasions some other response. Okay, great. I love that. Um, So did you see a need in the field to create this decision-making tool? It's a really cool article. I love it. And I can't, you know, I forget who has access to what, but I will put a link in in the show notes for the article. And I can't remember if it's like free access or maybe it's just if you're a BCBA. Um, But there's a really nice visual, which I really, really love. Because I think sometimes in the field, we're just like, Number one, I think sometimes people don't realize 
their prompting when maybe they shouldn't. And I think yeah. sometimes we're not thinking about what types of prompts we should be using. And so you have this really cool decision-making tool that's a visual that I think you could just like print out and put in your clinic or your classroom or whatever, just so this stuff is top of mind. Sometimes these things seem like we're like taking a step back to talk about something that's simplistic. But when you look at programming or you look at kids who are prompt dependent, or you look at staff who are using prompts that are not exactly the best, um, I think this visual is really, really key. So did you see a need in the field to create this decision-making tool? Or, I mean, you know, it's a lot of work to get these things published and and all your, you know, your dissertation and all that stuff. What, What did you see going on in the field that you were like, I think this is important and this is worth my time? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really wonderful question. I think where it first originated, there, there's kind of two things that came together to influence, you know, what we thought was the need for this this tool. The first was uh, when I first started at the University of Houston Clear Lake. Um, one of the wonderful parts about that program is you're in a practicum experience every year, and you can rotate those throughout the years. That way, you're getting a variety of experiences. And so, the first one that I was part of was providing in-school supports at a school that specialized in uh, working with students that maybe had severe challenging behaviors that kept them maybe out of placement in their homeschool districts. This was a school that worked with those public school districts to to help support those students more. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what my work was certainly is helping design and make recommendations around interventions for problem behavior. But also we were there to help support, you know, strategies for helping in the classroom with teachers, right? Mm-hmm. How how maybe they could use prompts in a systematic way to make sure that, you know, maybe there was less challenging behavior happening during work because work was becoming easier for the student, things like mm-hmm. that. And so for one student, um, I worked with that teacher to teach them one of the prompting strategies that's actually in this article. Um, and, and we can talk about that more in depth later to kind of talk about the differences between them all. But it's called most to least prompting, which can be a really helpful strategy for learners who are maybe learning something for the first time. And she did a, this teacher did a wonderful job implementing the procedure with the student the student was, you know, making meaningful progress after that. The student was responding well to that that type of inter- intervention. And one day I was just observing that same classroom, looking at a different student. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw her start using that procedure with another student. And this student had a very different learner profile and was actually very prompt dependent. Mm-hmm. And one thing about most to least prompting is it's actually a terrible idea to use that with someone who's prompt dependent because you're basically just giving them a prompt right away. Right. And so in my head, I was like, no, no, please stop. Part of me was excited that she was, you know, applying what I had taught her to other students, mm-hmm. but it was actually not matched to what that student needed. And so in going back to talk with uh, my advisor, Dr. Dorothy Lerman, we were talking about that of, yeah, how would somebody know? whether to they should use most to least prompting versus least to most prompting or some other type of systematic structure of prompts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we set about kind of creating a tool from that. And where it evolved is as we were just doing our literature search, there's a lot of recommendations out there as to why you might use one type of prompt or one prompting strategy versus another, right? There, There's tons of decades, there's decades of research on this that that kind of point to where this strategy might be better than another, or where they might be equally effective, or maybe where, you know, 
this prompting strategy is not effective at all with a certain learner profile. And so we saw that that was a lot of information for, you know, your everyday clinician or certainly a, a another type of professional who's not well-versed in ABA, but maybe is, uh, you know, a, a special education teacher or someone helping support students in one of those environments, like a speech pathologist or um, a, another type of interventionist. So we set aside or set out to start trying to put together something that we thought could be a helpful guide for people when trying to decide when one type of prompt or strategy might be more effective than another based on what they're seeing in the classroom. Yeah, I love that. And I, being a speech therapist in BCBA, I'm extremely type A. So, you know, think, and I have been a public school employee for 20 years. I've also worked in non-public programs too, but I think why this article is great is that sometimes, and I know you see this probably when you're consulting is, you know, there's so many students to serve in a public school that I think the thing with prompting is you, number one, have to realize that it's, you need to analyze what type of prompting you're using. Number two, you need to have running records of what type of data you're using, because that's the thing is like, sometimes when I'm working with kids and who are autistic or, or otherwise, I I'm always taking data because, you know, that's who I am at my core and I'm analyzing the data to make treatment decisions. But sometimes these are the things that are just really hard for public school employees, especially because there's so many students to serve, right? There's so many students to serve. So I know you talk about lots of different prompts and we'll talk about the the flow chart that you created. But the one thing I would love for you to talk about, maybe like verbal prompting. This is something I was actually just talking about with somebody. I talk to a lot of people every day for different reasons, consults, this, that, and the other. Um, when is it appropriate or could you talk to us about verbal prompts? Because I think that, you know, as a BCBA, we talk, I have talked about prompting and systematically fading prompts. And, you know, I take data every day. We analyze the data. I am very old. So I have, you know, done hand graph data and back in the day. I've been duly certified for 12 years. So, um, but could you talk to us about that? Because I feel like the idea of verbal prompting is something that as speech therapists, we don't really talk about a lot, but you talked about the student who was prompt dependent. And I think that's what we talk about, you know, a lot or people that are kind of bashing ABA, you know, I have an online business. So I see that a lot is yeah. like, oh, it's just, you know, well, people that are talking about gestalt or this other way of processing language, which, you know, we're going to do a whole show on is just the idea of self-generated language, which, you know, that's the purpose of ABA speech is to make sure every autistic learner has a voice, but we do have to analyze our prompts or our students are not going to have generated spontaneous language. It doesn't just automatically transfer from a discrete trial session to net or natural environment. But I, I think the idea of a verbal prompt is important. So could you talk to us about verbal prompting a little bit and when it might be appropriate and kind of what, if you're using verbal prompts, like what to be careful of? Yeah, no, that's a a really relevant question. And I think that was something very quickly as we were piloting out this tool that we we had to ask a lot of questions about this, both for the verbal types of prompts, as well as more physical or or gestural types of prompts. I think um, we ran into a lot of the same questions. I think specifically for verbal prompts, to to first break it up, I think there's two general types of verbal prompts that you could provide. One might just be a model of what your desired response for the learner to say is, right? So if you're showing them a picture of an apple and you want them to say apple, you could just say the word apple. Um, or 
a, a, a less intrusive version of that might be to just say part of the word, right? So maybe you mm-hmm. just say the first sound, ah, or app, something like that, right? So mm-hmm. you could break it down if, if, if you're trying to get them to say a specific word, you could provide a model or a verbal prompt of that word. So in, in our article, in, in the flowchart, what we refer to those as is uh, partial and full vocal models. What we were also playing around with, we left them, we, we didn't necessarily mention them in this decision-making tool just because we thought that some of those rules kind of got a little harder to explain in a, mm-hmm. in a quick and easy flowchart was verbal prompts, which are maybe what we consider more of those indirect cues or mm-hmm. reminders that we're offering to somebody. Um, so, hey, remember, it's the one on the left, or what do you do after you put on your backpack? Or right. what do you do after you pick up your pencil? You know, you're uh, you're trying to occasion some other type of response to happen after that. Mm-hmm. What I've seen clinically is I think that these types of prompts are very common, both in classrooms mm-hmm. and in intervention clinics. I think they're a very common type of prompt that folks try to use. I think sometimes they're hard to keep systematic. Mm-hmm. That that That's certainly an observation that I've seen is because, because they're inherently indirect in some ways, oftentimes I hesitate to use them because my staff might word things a little bit differently mm-hmm. or might cue to the wrong thing or, or just a less ideal version of, of whatever we want them to do next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the verbal prompt might be a little more heavy-handed from one person and very vague from another person. And so I think that those prompts are certainly very common and natural, even even in, you know, just a, a, a typical day, if you were just walking down the street, verbal prompts are very common to to hear from, you know, parents to a child, or, or if you were to walk into any classroom, you're going to hear them, right? Okay, now what do we do next? <laughs> I think there's a lot of use in them. And I think there, you know, from my perspective, seems to be a lot of social validity around using them. I think the caution would be is that if you're going to use it, especially at first with a learner who is first learning a new skill, mm-hmm. I would offer, I would suggest caution in making sure that whatever prompt you can use, make sure that it can be relatively consistent in what and how you're saying it. And also making sure that the learner has the communication or the listener repertoire that's mm-hmm. needed to hear that indirect clue mm-hmm. and compare that with the relevant response, right? Mm-hmm. Um because certainly you could go up to a learner and say, okay, now what do we do after we put on our shoes or, or what do we put on after our socks? But unless that they've learned that response, okay, socks go with shoes or, mm-hmm. you know, water goes in the water bottle or first peanut butter and then jelly, <laughs> that 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 type of prompt is probably not going to be super helpful for them unless they have that previous learning history mm-hmm. with that association, right? So mm-hmm. I think um, what's it... What's important to consider is what kind of initial training are you doing to make sure that that learner can respond effectively to that verbal prompt? Right. Yeah, I think that's good because I think sometimes we're saying a lot of things to kids and maybe they're not picking up on it. And then maybe you have to go with a different type of prompt. And 
um, yeah, I think it's great to analyze. So in the in the you have this flow chart. I think it's called the sweeps flow chart. I think I got that from the article um, yeah. that you created, which I think is really helpful and and applicable. Can you just kind of talk us through a little bit of the flow chart, how it could be helpful if people want to go back and look at the article? Um, and I think it's applicable for speech therapists, for teachers, for BCBAs. Can you just talk us through the chart a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, what I'll first say is when you're looking in the article, um, we included parts of the the full flow chart and the full package of materials just due to it was way too big to to put into one article. It, it was going to make the article super long. So what we've done is we've included all of those things as available supplemental resources. Um, at the end of uh, us talking, I can give my email address and I'm happy to send the article as well as those materials to anyone who wants them. It's uh, I, We're more than happy to share those with anybody that wants them. Um, so feel free. Um, so what you'll first see, we we created two flowcharts that focus on the different questions that you might ask yourself when selecting between different types of prompts and the prompt fading strategies. So one flowchart or set of flowcharts relates specifically to just the types of prompts. So what you would basically see in looking at the full the the full document there is one page of it will be a series of questions related to, vocal prompts or, or those verbal prompts, right? Um, some of the relevant questions there, we, we have this as a yes or no type of mm-hmm. flow chart, right? That way it's relatively easy to, to navigate your way through it of can the learner imitate vocalizations, right? So if you're asking them to say Apple, when you say Apple, is that something that they they can reliably do outside of just this teaching session, or is that not a skill that they have acquired just yet, or is that, or is not super reliable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we guide the the user through a series of yes or no questions that ends up in an in a a final box that gives some sort of you know author not authorization but you know cl- direction mm-hmm. of use this or don't use this, right? Mm-hmm. So you do that same thing for different types of model prompts or physical prompts. Can the learner imitate those things? Yes or no. Does the learner tolerate when you're physically guiding them? Do they, do they tolerate that? Do they, Or do they not prefer that? Or do they seem to like it way too much where they're not paying attention to anything you're doing once, <laughs> once you're touching them, right? So mm-hmm. that also gets into, you know, aspects of what is the learner assenting to, right? Do they not tolerate mm-hmm. physical prompts? Well, if mm-hmm. they're not tolerating them, you probably shouldn't use them, right? Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. right. That's a that's another that's another thing that you would want to, you know, mm-hmm. explore further. So that's one flow chart. The other flow chart is related to the prompting strategies themselves. So these are uh, the the strategies that we have in the flow chart. There's five of them. Uh, and and I'm happy to break them down further if you would like. And, and we also break them down a little bit in the article as well. Uh, the five are least to most prompting, which you're typically moving from a least intrusive prompt, such as maybe just a gesture, to a more intrusive prompt, which maybe all the way up is a physical prompt. Most to least prompting, which is where you're maybe starting at that physical prompt and you're fading down to a gestural prompt or no prompt at all. Uh, we also include a prompt delay, which is basically just a time delayed delivery of a single type of prompt. So maybe you're just waiting five seconds before prompting someone or 10 seconds or 15, two, four, six, right? Whatever the amount. The rest of the types of prompts are more related to modifications of the ones that 
uh, I've already mentioned, they they most closely align with most to least prompting. So one of them is called graduated guidance. And all that is, is just a series of only physical prompts. So it's mo it's basically most to least prompting, but you're only using physical prompts. And then the other one that's there is the most to least with a prompt delay. That's essentially just most to least prompting, but you provide a small window of time before you deliver that most intrusive prompt to just assess whether independence with a skill is occurring. Mm -hmm. And so the flowcharts correspond to a worksheet that we give that is basically that same list of questions in a yes or no format. And what you're doing with those flowcharts is just mapping on your yes or no responses to those questions to get your eventual outcomes. So the flowcharts themselves, I, I think, are a really helpful visual aid, especially if you're if you're just trying to make a quick decision about a learner that's coming into your classroom. That could be an application of it as you take a quick peek at the flowchart and determine whether or not you can answer those yes or no questions. Mm -hmm. If there's something on there that you're not sure about, so if we're asking, can the student imitate motor movements or do they tolerate physical prompts? And if that's a brand new student, you may not know those questions, right? Mm -hmm. You may not have yet had the opportunity to assess how they tolerate physical prompting or imitating other, other movements or vocal models. So what we do is we provide resources that the user of the sweeps can then use to quickly assess or probe out those things to make sure that they're making a database decision that mm -hmm. is relevant to their learner, right? So um, really what we've tried to provide here is a, a set of tools that you can use to make those database decisions to make sure that your teaching strategy best matches what seems to be right for that learner. Hmm. Oh, I love that. And I, I think it's great because I feel like this article and this flowchart has a lot of implications for staff training. I mean, I think that it's really nice. Like we all know that we, we're providing training and maybe we have a training day and, you know, or maybe because, you know, I work in a school district actually with two other speech therapists in the office, which is kind of fun. But I hear them talking about like, you know, this, oh, this staff is like over prompting and they do everything for the student. And, you know, like I think having like a nice general training talking about prompting some of these things, I think we're like, oh, we just assume everybody knows and you know you should fade your prompts and what is the end all goal for the student and i think some of these things that seem so basic are really what's most important so i i love this article i think it's really great um so where can people find out more about you and your work if they have a question and we'll include the yeah. link too for the in the show notes for the article yeah absolutely so the best place to find me i i'm not like super active on social medias or any websites or whatever with my own work but uh, a lot of the work that i'm doing certainly feel free to follow me on linkedin i think that's probably or ResearchGate. those two um mm -hmm. if you just search landon cowan i think i'm one of the only ones that pops up um and then um you're also i would also encourage uh, your listeners to uh, follow up with the labs that I am a part of. Um, Dr. Dorothy Lerman uh, continues to, to publish wonderful resources that are related to uh, all sorts of dissemination of behavior analysis principles to a variety of populations. Right now, she, she some of her primary work is, you know, teacher training, as well as right now she's doing great things with, you know, teaching dental professionals how to, you know, implement behavior analysis principles into their work. Nice. Uh, I would also recommend the work of uh, my doctoral advisor, Dr. Tiffany Kodak. Uh, a lot of her work uh, is, you know, uh, in the same realm where we're trying to make informed assessment-based, uh, assessment data based in, in 
intervention decisions for our learners. So I think that uh, if you start there, hopefully that'll be uh, a lot of information for you. And I'm always happy to answer any questions. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to, to meet you. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.